0: As I mentioned earlier, the children are going to remain with us this Sunday, and we're going to be in John chapter 17. We're going to take a little hiatus from First Corinthians. I know that you weren't out in First Corinthians last week, and uh, this week we will be in John 17, and I'm actually going to preach from Proverbs next Sunday. So we'll get back to First Corinthians in a couple of weeks. Um, I was blessed with the opportunity to speak at the Triennial Conference, and all of the speakers. from John chapter 17. My assignment was verses uh, 6 through 19, and as I say that, I remember that Matt Hagler is supposed to read that, not me. So I'm going to invite Matt to come and read our scripture before I preach it. Matt, come on up. I'm sorry about that. I'm so excited. Jump the gun.
1: Uh, Reading is from John 17, starting in verse 6. I have manifest your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and they have come to know the truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world. But for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and all yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be the one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. You have guarded them. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is the truth. As you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that I may also be sanctified. That they may also be sanctified in truth.
0: Let's pray together. Father, thank you for giving us your word and this weekly opportunity to sit together and receive it. And I just ask that that would happen, that we would receive this word that you've recorded, that you inspired the Apostle John to write, that you would instruct us and teach us and correct us and transform us as we meditate on your word, your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Uh, so, as I was saying, um, I, I was blessed with the opportunity to speak from this passage, but as you just heard and read, this passage contains a huge amount of, of subject matter that we could discuss and that we could preach many, many sermons from. And so I had just so much in my heart from this passage that I was not able to share at the Triennial. So I thought, well, I don't, I'll share it Sunday. And so that's what I'm doing. This is, uh, it's not the same thing that we thought about during triennial, but it's the same passage. But there's a different aspect of it that I wanted to talk about this morning. Uh, while we were there, we, in our room, we had cable television, which is not something that we usually have. There was, I think, 51 channels. Uh, we we don't get any of those channels. We get whatever you get through the antenna and uh, and then Netflix, which is a whole other thing. But you know, the kids wanted to watch TV, so I thought, well, surely, you know, we have all these channels that we never get to see. I'm sure there's all kinds of great stuff for the kids. And so as soon as we turned it on, it was this incredibly gory scene from some movie. And I won't even describe it to you. And the kids were like, oh no. And I was like, shield your eyes. And I had to stand between them and the TV, and then I, I tried to turn the channel. It's like each channel I turned to was something worse than the last. Finally, I found the Disney channel. And even there, right. the content was suspicious. I might tend to be a little over-the-top strict about these things, but uh, it was very difficult to find in all those 51 channels anything suitable for an innocent mind to take in. Now, why is that? Why Why is it that the majority of what we as humans pump out and produce is so contaminated? In terms of the entertainment that we take in, literature, politics? Why is it that so much of what we humans produce is contaminated? Well, the Bible has a word for it, and it's called the world. And it was mentioned several times in the passage that Matt read, the passage that we're going to be thinking about, the world. When God says the world in this context, he doesn't just mean the actual physical earth. He means the entire human system and everything sinful humans create the entire human system apart from God. So if we, if we zoom all the way back to the beginning, God created everything, and it was good originally. He created the heavens and the earth. He created all the creatures, all the vegetation. He created everything out in the universe and created man, and it was all good until sin entered the picture. And sin messed everything up. Sin contaminated human beings from the start. And then from that point on, Every structure, every society, every culture that human beings built was contaminated by this germ of sin. And all of that that humans have built is what the Bible has in mind when it says the world, the whole sinful system of humanity, and all the people contained therein and all the institutions created therein. If you want to think about it in terms of a uh, SAT um, Oh, I just lost the word. Well, that illustration is not going to work if I don't remember the word. You know where it says, uh, as an analogy, X is to Y as A is to B? What is it? I don't know. You know what I'm talking about. Man, I had that word in my head when I looked over this this morning. If you want to think of it in those terms, which it helps me to think about it that way sometimes. As the flesh is to the Christian... The world is to humanity. So we mentioned earlier in the service, the Bible has this concept of the flesh. So you're a Christian, you still battle with the flesh. That part of you that has not yet been given over in full submission to God's authority is the flesh. That's the part of you that wants to be a glutton or wants to be greedy or wants to be selfish. We still battle with this flesh instinct of ours. As the flesh is to the Christian, so the world is to humanity. It's that part of humanity not given over to submission to God. It's that part of humanity that rebels against God and rejects his ways. Okay, that may have just con- been confusing. We'll edit that part out. I want to read, before we study what Jesus has to say about the world in our main passage, I just want to read to you a portrait of life in the world from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. This is Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. A portrait of life in the world. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body, and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. So, portrait of life in the world. Spiritual deadness. People walking around, spiritually speaking, like zombies. Dead to God in their spirits. Walking in trespasses and sins. That basically means oblivious to God's guardrails, to God's limits, to God's rules, to God's commands, just blasting right through them. Uh, Doug Williams isn't here this morning, but we have an ongoing joke about the mailboxes in front of his old TV shop. I used to work across the street from Doug before I came to be your pastor here at a photography studio out there. And it's this little stretch of road in Locusts, 200, Uh, between where it used to be Little Photography and where Doug's TV shop was, 35 miles per hour, just a straight, calm, wide road. No reason that there should ever be any trouble on this road. And in the short period of time that we both, that we were there at the same time, his mailbox got plowed over by cars by accident three times. And then after I left working there, he came up to me again a couple weeks later, and he's like, you won't believe what happened this week. Again, somebody plowed over my mailbox. One time, I was in the photography studio, and I was facing the windows where I just, I was talking to the guy who owned it, but beyond him, just in my field of vision, was Doug's mailboxes out there. And as we were talking, this woman, we didn't know what was going on, but this car just sort of came, wasn't going all that fast, and veered over to our side, sort of hit the ditch and lurched back up over the road, obliterated his mailboxes, got sort of back on the road and rear-ended somebody at the stoplight there. Come to find out it was a woman who had had some sort of seizure or something. All that to say, that's sort of the image that this gives us of life in this world. People are just careening out of control, walking in trespasses, driving without any regard for the signs, for the guardrails, for where the road ends, where the mailboxes are, just blasting through God's commands, God's ways, God's rules that he gave us. Spiritually deadened people, walking in trespasses and sins, following the course of this world and Satan's influence, living according to the passions and desires of our flesh, our body, our mind. That's the state of the world. When Jesus prays, that's what he has in mind. Now, he mentions the world some 50 times in the book of John. It's an important theme in the book of John. And it it's clearly on Jesus' mind here in John 17. John 17 is Jesus praying for, uh, he's praying before he's about to be arrested. He has spent the chapters right before this preparing his disciples for his departure. Just trying to assure them, make sure they know they're going to be okay. The Father's going to send the Holy Spirit. But I have to go. I'm going to leave. I'm going to be killed. I'm going to rise again from the, from the grave and I'm going to send to my Father and you're going to be left here in this world. And so he's praying, and, and in our section, he's praying for the disciples specifically. Now, in just a little bit, some of our parents are going to say goodbye to their children, and I'm going to drive off with them in our church van to camp. And for some parents, that's harder than others. Uh, if you remember maybe leaving your child the first day of school or the first time you let them go away from home, there's that that feeling of paternal and maternal concern, maybe even worry, uh, but at least concern for their well-being. You're not going to be there with them. You're not going to be there to protect them. Well, Jesus is feeling that same thing for his disciples. He loves them. He's gone everywhere with them for three years, and he's about to leave them in this really messed up place, the world. So we're just going to look at, we're just going to isolate what he says about the world I actually even titled the sermon this week, which is rare for me. It's The Disciple and the World. We learn from Jesus' prayer that as disciples, we have a really complicated relationship with the world. Before we became Christians, we were just just like everybody else. We were walking around living by the passions of our flesh and our, our mind, We were walking in trespasses and sins. We were dead to God. But then once God saved us through Christ, our relationship with the world gets complicated. So we see first off that we are out of the world, yet in the world. Look at um, verses 6 and 9. Jesus prays to the Father, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. It says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Verse 9, it says, I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you gave me, those whom you have given me, for they are yours. The Father gave the disciples to Jesus out of the world. Now, the Bible has a lot of rich imagery and language for describing salvation. It has many different ways of looking at it. And this is one. It's, it's the image of God scooping up the disciples out of this chaotic, messy world and giving them to Jesus. It's the idea of them being in a, a damnable, dangerous Mess, living in the world, and the Father scooping them up out and handing them safely to Jesus. So in a sense, they are out of the world. They've been scooped out of the world. Out of spiritual deadness into spiritual life. Off the path of trespass and sin, onto the path of righteousness. Off the course of this world and Satan, onto the course of God's word. Out of slavery to the flesh and body and mind, into service for God. So they're out of the world, yet as Jesus prays, he makes clear he's leaving them in the world where they're going to need the Father's safekeeping. Look at verse 11. He prays, and I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. He outlines several dangers for his disciples left in the world, but the main point I want to stress is we are out of the world in one sense, but in another sense, we are decidedly in the world. Jesus could, every time somebody gets saved, sweep them right to be with him, but he doesn't arrange it like that. We are decidedly left in the world on purpose. Jesus leaves us here for a reason. It's dangerous here, there's dangers of disunity. He prays in verse 11, Holy Father, keep them, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. If the Father doesn't keep us in his name, there's a danger that we'll turn against each other, that we won't be united. There's a danger of a lack of joy. If you look at verse 13, But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. There's danger from the evil one. If you look at verse 15, it says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. So we are here in the world, surrounded by danger. Danger significant enough that Jesus prays for us, prays for our protection. And we have an enemy here who's in charge of the world. John, 1 John 5:19 says, We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So we're freed from the world yet left in the world and it's dangerous here for us. Meredith texted me a few days ago or a week ago a picture of an 11-foot alligator. And I think the caption just said, I'm not going. Or maybe it said, I'm not getting in. And it was a link to an article about an 11-foot alligator that came ashore at Holden Beach a couple of years ago. And we're going to be going to Holden Beach in a little while. Now, that was a couple of years ago, and I'm sure it'll never, ever happen again, and that there is no danger in the surf at, at Holden Beach. But if you, if you knew there was an 11-foot alligator out there, you would approach that shore a little differently, I think. And here we're told in the Bible that there... Is an enemy out here? It says in First Peter five eight, be sober minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. So we're out of the world, yet in the world, where we need the Father's safekeeping. The second thing we see is that we're not of the world, yet we are sent into the world. We're not of the world, yet we are sent into the world. Not of the world. Look at verse 14. Jesus says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I've given them your word, and the world hates them. And it hates them because they're not of the world. They don't belong to the world anymore. hates them just like it has hated me. He said earlier as he was preparing the disciples for his departure in chapter 15, verse 18, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So thinking again to the whole human system apart from God, what are your expectations for, for that human system in terms of how it's going to receive you as a disciple of Jesus Christ? What are your expectations for how your relationship with the, the world is going to go? Because here Jesus clearly prepares his disciples that it's, it's going to go badly often. The world will hate you, just like it hated me, because you're not of the world anymore. You're not of that system anymore. You're an outsider now. You're an alien now. You're a stranger to all that now. I heard an interview with a Christian mom who was talking about some of the challenges of parenting in our American culture. And she said often her kids will come home from school and they'll say, they'll just be all stressed out or angry or aggravated because all their friends have this and they don't. All their friends get to do this, and they don't. All their friends get to watch this, and they don't. And they just don't want to be different from everybody. They just want to be the same as everybody. And this Christian mom said that her usual response is, you know that feeling of being different? We're actually trying to enhance that. We're actually trying to grow that feeling of being different. We're not trying to minimize that feeling of being different. We're trying to be different because we are not of the world. It's been confusing for us as American Christians because our culture has been so Christianized for so many generations. I think we're beginning to feel the shift in that a little bit as the world has crept in more and more and more. We're starting to sense how different we really are. Our convictions about God, our convictions about Jesus Christ as the one way to salvation, that's very offensive to the world, how exclusive it is our convictions about humanity, our convictions about sexuality, our convictions about marriage, more, 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 we may begin to see that the world doesn't think that we're cute and great. It hates us. Because we're alive to God in a spiritually dead world. We're walking on a different path. We're following a different course. We're serving a different master. We're not of the world, but... We're sent into the world, just like Jesus. Look at verses 16 and then 18. Jesus prays, They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And then verse 18, As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. So our lives parallel that of Jesus in a lot of ways. Just like he was not of the world, we're not of the world. And just like the Father sent Jesus into the world, Jesus sends us into the world. There's a sense in which Jesus' mission in John 3.16 is our mission. John 3.16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So in spite of the fact that we have been scooped up out of the world, that we are no longer of the world, and that we're promised that the world will hate us, we're not called to bunker down against the world. We're not called to rail against the world, to fight the world, and we're not called to hide from the world, and we're not called to escape the world. Rather, we're sent into the world, just like the Father sent Jesus. We're to see ourselves, our daily life, as missionaries, sent into the world to love the people of the world, to give ourselves for the people of the world, hoping for their salvation, not their condemnation. So one practical application of this, our response when we see the brokenness of the world should not be condemnation, but evangelism. It shouldn't just be griping about the state of the world, but going into the world with the good news that others can be scooped up out of there and saved. It shouldn't just be shaking our head and wagging our fingers. It should be the missionary response of love and evangelism. Thinking back to my TV example from the beginning, you know, I, I see all this this horrifying stuff on the TV, especially when my children are sitting there. And I do tend to have a reaction of what is wrong with these people? Who watches this stuff? Who produces this stuff? Who pays for this stuff? Who agrees to act in this stuff? And it's kind of a righteous indignation. But a passage like this reminds me that that's that's who I would be if God hadn't scooped me up out of there. And those are real people with souls, and the, influ- the people that are being influenced by it, and the children who are, are, are imbibing it every day are being influenced by it, and it's, these are people desperately in need of the good news of Jesus Christ, just like me. Disciples, we are out of the world, yet in the world. We are not of the world, yet we are sent into the world. We're not to be like the world, but different. We're not to feel at home in the world, but at work in the mission field of the world. We're not to escape the world, but remain in the world. We're not to condemn the world, but evangelize it. So the closing thought, this week, how can we forsake the ways of the world in our own lives, yet go purposefully into the world? with the good news of God's love and his mercy and his grace through Jesus Christ? How can we embrace our alien status in the world as Christian disciples? How can we love the people around us and share the gospel with them? And I'll close with a portrait of the life of one who's been saved out of the world. We read a portrait of life in the world earlier This is the next passage right after. Ephesians 2, starting at verse 4. It says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. As Christians, we enjoy this wealth of mercy, this great love from God. We've been revived from spiritual death. We've been saved by grace. We've been raised up and seated with Christ. We're promised a future full of grace and kindness. And we're sent into the world to invite others to enjoy these things with us through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for preserving this prayer of your son, Jesus, so that we can study it and think about it and receive it this morning. And I pray for just us, your local church here under the name Doolin's Grove, that you would enable us to live according to these realities. Help us to know just day-to-day, every decision, every conversation, how to live in light of the fact that we are not of this world any longer, but that we are sent into this world with the gospel.
1: Help us to live this way, Father, in Jesus' name, amen.